Welcome to the Focus Coach Show, because what you focus on matters. I'm your host, Jeff Sari, and I'm super excited to bring this podcast to you. We'll learn about topics such as work-life balance, stress management, confidence, goal setting, motivation, and so much more. So let's get started. Welcome to the Focus Coach Show's Maiden Voyage, Episode 1. I'm thrilled to bring this podcast to you entitled From Suicide to Success. I've been so fortunate to have a successful coaching career in Keene, New Hampshire, in the southwestern corner of the state for the past 13 years and for the past six years full-time. I'm able to coach small businesses around emotional intelligence, communication skills, and teamwork and strategy. And it's exhilarating because we can make change in organizations rather quickly because they are small and nimble. I'm going to tell you my story for two reasons. One, so you can get to know me and my style. And two, to show you that we're all alike. We're all in the same boat. And if I can save you time and energy in the long run so that you can get the outcomes you want in a shorter amount of time, then that's going to be so helpful for you. It's going to pay dividends for you. I went to the School of Hard Knocks, and you probably did too, Ups and Downs, Trials and Tribulations. In the title, From Suicide to Success, I had a suicide attempt December 17, 1995. That was an incredible moment for me in my life, and I'm going to backtrack and lead up to that portion of the story and then bring it up to present day. So I grew up in Keene, the city that I live now and coach in now. I grew up on a dead-end street. My mom had divorced my bio dad and at around age two, moved to a dead-end street. My older brother and I would roam the hills, roam the woods, searching for ponds and frogs and climbing trees, building forts, riding our bikes into the dusk, into the night. It was awesome. It was pretty idyllic when I think about it. I had a golden retriever named Brandy Bear. It was the best. At age nine, my mom decided to move us to the biggest city, Manchester in New Hampshire. She was going through another divorce, and we literally were uprooted from this idyllic dead-end street now to the inner city in Manchester. I remember saying goodbye to my dog in Dublin, New Hampshire, and just I never saw him again. And so it was a rude awakening to get to the inner city. And my colleague Rich has this saying that we all have impact events. And these impact events influence our lives and influence our identity. This was a huge impact event for me to move from a small city to the biggest city. There was a lot of violence in the inner city. I remember one story being held at knife point when I was 10 years old or so because I was having a snowball fight with some kids. Someone just came up to me and put a knife to my chest. There were bullies in the neighborhood, and being a small fry, I had to really adapt myself to fit in, and I pretty much became a pleaser and just tried to survive. Luckily, my mom is such a motivated person, she found a good career, and we moved to a more well-to-do neighborhood. Fortunately, the man she married, third husband, was not a very nice man. I did okay in high school, I had sports, I had friends, I had girlfriends, but Being under my stepfather's thumb and being controlled was not a good time. And so I started to deal with feelings of worthlessness and powerlessness in my teenage years. I was very insecure, and that manifested itself in doing weird behaviors like stealing. So I couldn't wait to get out of the house. 
Right when I turned 18, I went off to college, Providence, Rhode Island. And there I did pretty well, but I only lasted a semester because I was drinking, partying. And anyone who's dealt with insecurity knows that the drink can be a salve for a while. And it started to become a problem. And so I left college and moved back to Manchester and lived with my best friend, Scott, and my older brother, Chris. And we had a high old time, literally, for a year. This is 1991-ish to 1992. It was a year of partying, and I, you know, I worked a full-time job at a tennis club, but it was a year of gluttony, really selling the oats, so to speak. After that year, I realized that that's not a life I wanted to live. And I had always been into drumming. And I had a teacher at that time who went to school in Hollywood, California called Percussion Institute of Technology. And I had this wild idea to get into that school and become a professional drummer, a world famous drummer, actually. I was into hair metal at the time and I was into the lure of fame and fortune. And so I did get into the school. My teacher helped me and it was awesome. So my friend Scott and I boarded a Greyhound bus in early 1992, and he went to Dallas to become a model, and I went on to L.A., Hollywood, California, to pursue drumming. L.A. was an interesting time as well, fraught with violence. When I moved out there a month later, the L.A. riots started, the Rodney King riots. I remember one night hiding under my bed because I was so terrified that I was going to die. Other events were not your usual events seeing people in disrepair and homelessness, drugs. I was accosted a few times and actually shot with salt pellets when I had my groceries in my hand. So it was an interesting time. Overall, great experience, but also fraught with some of these impact events. So upon graduating, I had a chance to stay on and play in some bands, but I said, heck no, I need to go back to New Hampshire, where I was born and raised. Moved back to Peterborough, New Hampshire, which is a small town near Keene. I moved in with my second dad, Pops, I call him. Now, he's the one that my mom and him got divorced when I was nine and then moved to Manchester. But I'd always uh, stayed in touch with him. So I moved back in with him. It was great. I just started to practice. My intention was to go to Berkeley College of Music and really pursue drumming. Did odd jobs like waitering. I started to drum in bands just to cut my chops, to cut my teeth. And it was a pretty good time in that respect. But the depression was creeping up on me. My feelings of worthlessness, my feelings of despair were starting to creep in. I was turning 21 at the time. And it's really when depression can start kicking in. So I had these two forces going on inside of me. One, being an exceptional drummer. And two, Feelings of worthlessness and what do I matter? Where's all this going? All of those kind of thoughts. And so I moved from Peterborough after a year to Salem, New Hampshire, which is closer to Boston. And my intention was to really get into Berkeley and make a, make a try of it. I practiced, practiced sometimes 12 hours a day. I worked as a limo driver at night. And yet it was a very, very dark time for me. It was creeping up even more. And that was around 1995. And that was the time where I decided to commit suicide. And how I did that was I had sleeping pills, a loaded handgun, and a bottle of whiskey. And I said to myself, well, let's try the pills first. There's a part of me that still wanted to survive, but I had isolated myself so much just playing drums and driving a limo. And anyone who has dealt with depression knows that as you feel worthless, 
you isolate yourself. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because now look, no one's around you. And you start to feel even more unlovable and it's a spiral down into oblivion. I remember waking up the next morning and my roommate who was never home at the time in the morning, he was always working, happened to be home serendipitously and saw me in a state of hallucination and disrepair. I was literally bouncing off the walls. The next thing I remembered was being in the hospital and I remember some of my delusions that I have, some paranoia that I had at the time in the hospital. And as it started to thaw out, I realized that something had clicked within me. A light switch literally went on. And so that's the best way I can describe it. I had tried suicide as a side note before uh, in different capacity, you know, oncoming traffic. I was there, you know, ready to smash into a Mack truck or put a hose in my tailpipe and put it in the car. I was on the edge of that before I took the sleeping pills. So it wasn't my first attempt per se, but it was the most dramatic for sure. After the suicide attempt, I recuperated at my mom's, but given my strained relationship in my teenage years with her husband, who she was still married to, that was a short-term solution. So I ended up moving back in with Pop in a town called Swansea, New Hampshire, near Keene again. And that was interesting time because, again, I got to practice drums. I was still in the drumming path, but I was trying odd jobs. I was trying to find a career that I could sink my teeth into and maybe even help people. You know, my depression, I felt like I had shed. And so I was a tennis coach. I tried real estate. I tried other sales jobs. I was drumming in bands, uh, you know, just trying some odd, some different things to figure my life out. At that time, my friend Jason handed me a book on Buddhism called Buddhism Plain and Simple by Steve Hagen. And it really changed my life. Honestly, I can say that's another uh, positive impact event actually in my life. That book really helped me see a different perspective. Buddhists have this interesting psychological perspective and methodology. So I started to meditate and I started to read philosophy. I started to study and started to go to every church in town. And I was seeing a therapist at the time and really just trying to have this renaissance to say what the heck happened in my brain to go from a pretty happy-go-lucky guy to this slide into oblivion, almost not making it. And so around 1999, I decided to give it all up and go to France. I sold everything. I broke up with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Thankfully, she held in there for me. I sold everything and went to France to a retreat at Thich Nhat Hanh's monastery called Thumb Village. I remember leaving the airport. My ex-girlfriend, like I said, I broke up with her. Now she was my ex-girlfriend and my brother dropped me off at the airport. And I remember crying like a baby on the plane saying, what the heck am I doing? But something inside me had to do it. I had to leave. I had to leave it all behind and try something different. I didn't realize that wherever you go, there you are. That was one of the great lessons I learned at Plum Village. France was awesome. It was a great time. And I got into the retreat two weeks and one of the senior monks asked me to become a monk. And I had not seen that curveball coming at all. I thought I was going to go there, then go on to New Zealand and visit my friend Mark, and then go to India and visit my friend Rajinda and possibly make it to the Dalai Lama's place in Dharamasala. That was my plan. I didn't know if I was coming back. I ended up meditating on that question, should I become a monk? Should I become a householder, as they say, and start a career? Or should I be a nomad and roam the world? And it hit me like a bell, like a light switch. 
It was, I need to go back to the United States and find a career to help people. That's what I need to do. And so I called my ex-girlfriend and said, hey, sorry about breaking up with you. How would you like to come to France, quit your job? I've got, you know, $5,000 in my pocket and we'll travel through Europe, whatever that looks like. And she said, yes, awesome. She came over, we traveled for a month. And then we moved back to a big city in New Hampshire called Portsmouth on the seacoast. And that was a cool time. We lived there for about six months. And my wife, Melissa, ended up finishing up her college degree there. It really dawned on me that I needed to do that. I needed to get some education. I started to study philosophy again and psychology and religion and all these kind of things. And I had a job helping people, helping kids in an orphanage. It was a great time. At the same time, we wanted to be closer to Melissa's family, who she's very tight with, who I'm very tight with. So we moved back to a place called Dublin, New Hampshire, which is, again, near Keene. It all comes back to Keene, I guess. And I became an estate caretaker. And as I was doing that part-time job living on the estate, which was amazing, I started to finish my bachelor degree. And I started to ask the question, what's next after my BA? Do I want to become a therapist? And that's when I found coaching. I did a Google search on careers that interface spirituality and psychology and out popped the word life coaching. I had no idea what that meant. I was a tennis coach in the late 90s before I sold everything to France, but I didn't know what a life coach was. So I got some training and I got certified. At the same time, around the same time, I was getting married and it was a really great time. I started to have paying clients. Then the wheels came off the cart again. My wife lost twins, and that was a terrible experience, as anyone who's lost a child can attest to. They were six months old. And we looked at each other after the dust settled from that and said, you know, what's next? You know, where are we going? So we wanted to move back to Keene to buy a house, start a family, and really make a go at it, get some professional jobs. And so we did just that. We left the estate after six years and moved to Keene, bought a house, I got a job as a life coach with a friend of mine who owned a coaching company helping young adults transition from rehab and depression anxiety into real life. It was an awesome time, a great learning experience. Then I got laid off when my daughter was a year old. So I needed to get a job, a J-O-B. So I found a job working with folks with disabilities, adults who needed staff around them, sometimes 24 hours a day. It was a great time for a while. Lots of resources, lots of training. My coaching got a little bit deeper. As I said in the beginning, I was coaching still on the side to build my business on the side as I worked full time. And my job was very flexible, so I could work sometimes at night and coach during the day. It was really a win-win. At some point, the job started to wear down. It was lower paying. It was a nonprofit. I really wanted something else. So when I turned 40, I said, it's now or never. So I really started coaching full-time June 15th, 2013. I also became an adjunct faculty around the same at Keene State College and continue to do that currently. I've been practicing now so many people, so many different sectors of business, because wherever people get together, there's propensity for dysfunction. So I've made my living helping to solve the relationship problem, solve the bad management problem in business or in organizations. And that's my mission currently is to help enlighten managers, leaders, teams to say, we can be better together. We can rise. We spend the most time working. You know, we spend the most time with our colleagues and our coworkers. 
So why not try to become the best we can together? That's my pitch. And so that's my mission currently. I want you, the listener, over the course of this podcast, however long it lasts, hopefully for years and years and years to come, to find tips, mindsets, strategies to really take your selfhood, management, parenthood, whatever it is for you, to the next level. I want to help you assess your barriers, really get into your dreams, and really figure it out and create a plan to really attain that success that you really want. A lot of that has to do with life balance. Most people today want some form of balance. We don't want to just slave to the grind. One, we want purpose and meaning in our job, but we also want to have a life. And this podcast is really dedicated to helping you focus on what's most important for you. So thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to the Focus Coach Show. Feel free to subscribe and share with those people whom you might think would benefit from it. And also go to thefocuscoachshow.com slash tools, get your free worksheets, free downloads, sign up for a free coaching session, and more. Until next time, peace.